0: When I was in school I had a theology professor who said that he thought the easiest doctrine of the Christian faith to prove was the doctrine of the total depravity of man. Another way you could say that is uh, just look around the world is a fallen place full of broken sinful people And, you know, in times like the last year, uh, I suppose it's been even easier than usual to show that to be the case. We're dealing with a brand new disease, and we're not always able to deal with it effectively. It takes a lot of effort, and people do things wrong and make mistakes and do things wrong even on purpose, and our motives are question and everything seems a little haywire and you know above all i suppose in uh, dealing with this uh, pandemic we are all confronted by the reality of death and uh, uh, so it doesn't seem too hard to show these days that the world is a broken place but we are the people who know god we are the people who are born again in Christ, are raised with Christ, seated with Christ, to rule with Christ. We are the people who anticipate uh, the resurrection from the dead and the resolution of all of this trouble and disease. What does the Bible tell us about how to deal with the world in which we live? When, when the world goes bad? what, what What's What should we do? So this morning I wanted to take a bit of a departure from our study through the book of John and, and uh, just consider that question. How do we handle the troubles of this world as a Christian? And I suppose there's no more famous passage for that issue than the beginning of the book of James, James chapter 1. I'd just like to read... Uh, James 1, verses 2 through 8. Here's what it says. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, this text says how we should respond when we encounter all kinds of trouble. (laughs) Various troubles, trials, difficulties. What does that word mean, trial? Well, it's when the broken things of this world hurt you. When the broken things of this world hurt you. You know, the world is broken. Uh, It's full of disease and natural disaster here in the Caribbean. There's an island uh, that's enduring a very difficult time because of a volcanic eruption on St. Vincent. Uh, The world is full of troubles, interpersonal, like uh, at work. Uh, You have trouble getting everything done you need to get done. and uh, Scripture says, Uh, that God told Adam and Eve when He cast them out of the garden that you'll have trouble getting your living from the earth. We have troubles at work. We have to work. Sometimes we have to do hard and difficult things just to survive. We have troubles with people. People don't do what I need them to do. (laughs) And they don't think right. And they behave badly or foolishly. This scripture tells us what to do, how to think of it, really, when we run into trouble. And what it says is, consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. Now, if you ask me, when someone says, consider it joy, my brothers, when you encounter all kinds of trouble... Someone who says that had better explain himself. How do you consider it joy? He says, think of it, read it in a particular way. And if you read it in the way he's suggesting, you can rejoice in it. Wow. Well, so, how does he account for this? Remarkable commandment. He says, You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, how do we consider it? Joy. We think about the results. We think about what it is and what that produces. Now, the first thing he says is when the world goes bad, that is, in fact, a test of faith. When the world goes bad, it tests our faith. And so the first thing he's saying about considering a joy is read uh, problems in your life as tests of your faith. Now in this context, of course, he can only mean your faith in God, in Christ, by the Spirit. So it's a test of do you trust God because of Christ, and as a result of the work of the Spirit in your heart. And that means the question is something like this. When the world goes bad, God is still good, Do you still trust Him? So we're saying, well, even when the world is giving me problems, and it's always giving me problems, God is still good. How do I know that? Well, I know that because Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. (laughs) The grave of Lazarus, Jesus wept and then raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus engaged in the trouble. Jesus was troubled by the trouble, but Jesus knew how it would turn out. I know that God is still good because I know that Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life in this same sick world that we live in. And He did that by always trusting God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that God is still good because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us when we were His enemies. God is good. I know that God is still good because the promise of Scripture is that all things, including the troubles I'm facing, work together to conform us to the image of the Son of God. That's Romans chapter 8. All things work together for our benefit, and the benefit they work for is that we become conformed to the image of Christ. And that good, God is always working through each and every situation I face. I know that God is still good even when the world goes bad because I know what Jesus said when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, yet shall he live. So God is planning on redemption. God is already redeeming us and God will finish our redemption and resurrection in the end. So God is good. Even when the world goes bad, And the question is, do I still trust in his goodness? And that's how it's a test of our faith when we're troubled. You see, my immediate situation, my visible situation, the situation where I'm sick or uh, endure some other difficulty, where I have a trouble with work or I can't do the things I want to do or people don't do the things I want them to do or there's a disease or a natural disaster or any of these broken things hurt me. That situation is not my ultimate situation. My ultimate situation is the less visible situation that ends in the resurrection the situation of my redemption in Christ, the situation of God's perfect provision, even using the pains of this life to do something good in me. And so, whenever the world goes bad, God is still good. And it turns out that this testing through the world's difficulties through our trials and troubles, what James says here is, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You might say, steadfastness of what? (laughs) And I think you'd have to say, steadfast faith. Faith is strengthened by testing. When I endure a difficulty and I continue to believe in God's goodness because of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, my faith is strengthened and becomes sturdier and more steadfast, more solid, more persistent. I develop the sort of faith that sticks, that waits out hard times, and that trusts in the promise of God and the promises of God's Word. So when we say, the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. We're talking about a steadfast faith that sees through my immediate situation, the, the, the trouble, the test, and pays attention to my ultimate situation, my redemption in Christ. That steadfast faith is the faith that sees through the trouble to the ultimate outcome that continues to trust in God's goodness. It's the faith that says, Christ is enough. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. It's the kind of faith that Jesus exhibited in His own life. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. So He saw through his immediate trouble (laughs) and I'm not anywhere near the trouble that he experienced in the sacrifice of the cross that saw through that to the joy of our redemption, of our reconciliation to fellowship with God because of that sacrifice that's the sort of faith that develops in us through the testing of various troubles it's the sort of faith that Paul talks about in Philippians 4 when he talks about the peace that passes understandings. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, this is Philippians 4. 4 in everything, through prayer, <laughs> with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. So he's saying, whatever's troubling you, whatever you might worry over, instead, look to God in it, and you will have the peace that passes understanding. What a powerful witness that peace is. It's my prayer. I hope that in this time of trouble that's in the whole world, that we're all kind of together experiencing the same trouble, that the peace that appears. Christian possesses because he trusts in God's goodness will be a powerful witness that many will see the reality of Christ because of that witness, because in the testing of our faith our steadfastness shows. And so, he says then that steadfastness has a result (laughs) when our faith When we're tested, when we have any kind of trouble, and we trust in the goodness of God in the middle of that trouble, because of Christ and by the Spirit, when we trust in the goodness of God, we become more and more steadfast, strong, solid, persistent in our faith. And that has an effect. It says here, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now the word perfect here really means mature. Mature, you know some mature Christians? Uh, I know some mature Christians and you know anything could happen to them and it wouldn't rattle them. They know the goodness of God, they trust it, whatever happens. Uh, and that way they're mature and they're able to behave in a mature way. They don't react, they respond. Uh, And then it says you're complete. That means you're whole, you're fully equipped, you've got everything you need. You're like a fully furnished house. So, you know, what what would it be like if you went into a house and there was no kitchen in it? Well, that's not a complete house, is it? Well, when James says you're complete, he means you've got all the furniture. You're you're equipped uh, as a person, as a human being, to handle whatever. And then he says, lacking nothing. And you start to wonder, okay, perfect, complete, lacking nothing, he's just repeating himself. (laughs) Well, yeah, a little bit. But also, when he says lacking nothing, he means you're not missing any aspect of character that you need. You know, I've, I think so often, uh, I wish I had this or that character quality, I wish I was way more patient, and so on. Hmm. Well, trouble in life is an opportunity to gain that equipment through trusting in God looking to God, trusting in God's goodness, even when the world is troubled. You know, a Christian character is a character that depends on God in Christ by the Spirit, that looks to God the Father as our provider, as the source of all good gifts, that does so on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ, the Son, the revelation of God in the person of Christ, and is empowered to do so by the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is the character that we're talking about that's fully equipped in this tested faith. It's a character that constantly depends on God. So. Tested faith is faith that is stronger faith. Faith grows, and this is how faith grows. It's not likely that your faith will grow without trouble. Trouble grows faith, and so Paul, so James. I'm sorry here says, rejoice, rejoice consider it joy when you have different kinds of trouble because your faith is growing. You know, another way of saying that is your fellowship, the depth and intimacy of your fellowship with the living God, which is, by the way, another way of saying life, your fellowship is growing because you trust more and more, you look to Him more and more. And, I mean, let's be honest, when do you pray? When do you pray your hardest? Well, when something difficult happens, and you look to God, and you trust in His goodness, and you say, Lord, help me, then you grow in fellowship with God. Now, he goes on, of course, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, (laughs) here's something I've noticed during the COVID crisis, the whole world lacks wisdom. We don't know what to do. It takes us a lot of hard work and effort and science and struggle and politics to try to figure out what's the right way to go here. How do we do this, that, or the other thing? Even you know when our smart people figure it out, and a lot of us still aren't convinced. And we argue and fuss, and wow, there's a lack of wisdom in the world, isn't there? Well, what if you lack wisdom? You know, even in our own individual personal struggles, this is the problem, isn't it? Like, I think, ah, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I don't have the wisdom that I need. Well, James says, well, it's simple. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. (laughs) Ask God. Ask God. You know, when I lack wisdom, it takes me a while. I really do lack wisdom. It takes me a while to figure out, to just simply pray and say, God, give me the wisdom that I need. Give me the wisdom that I need. I always want to figure it out for myself. I don't know about you. Maybe you're a better prayer than me. If any of you lacks wisdom, he says, let him ask God. God, help me. I don't know what to do. That's the prayer we're talking about. Lord, help me. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to talk to this person. I don't know how to feel about this illness, or that political situation, or that trouble at work or school? Ask God. (laughs) Now, then he tells us something about God. He says, ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. You know what James is saying here is when we pray for wisdom, God's answer is yes. It turns out God loves to give out wisdom. You remember Solomon, right? God said to Solomon, tell me what you want. Ask me for anything now that you're king. Ask me for anything. And Solomon says, well, what I really need is wisdom. And God rewards Solomon for being wise enough to ask for wisdom are you wise enough to ask for wisdom God loves to give wisdom God is generous with wisdom says here he gives generously so if I ask for wisdom he's going to give more wisdom than I think I need and then he says without reproach oh my goodness that means no questions asked God doesn't say well what are you going to do with my wisdom if I give it to you or, well, I don't know if I can trust you with my wisdom. No, he just gives it. He's generous with wisdom. If you don't know how to do, what to do, how to act, what to believe, what to value, what to feel, what to think, what to say, or what to do, if you don't know, if you don't have the wisdom, ask God. God loves to give out wisdom. He does it without question. He doesn't consider whether you're worthy. He just gives it. Now we might ask, well, what is wisdom anyway? It's it's not the same as intelligence exactly, is it? Plenty of smart people don't have any wisdom. Uh, But it it doesn't include intelligence. It includes the right use of my intelligence. It's not the same as knowledge, though wisdom finds knowledge useful. So there's lots of very educated people who are not necessarily very wise. It's not just prudence or caution. It's not just being smart enough to be careful because sometimes wisdom, the the best wisdom is to take a big risk. Well... I think the best description of wisdom is understanding to discern what is right. In other words, it has to do with what do I do? Real wisdom changes my beliefs. It's, It's what should I believe what's true. Real wisdom is grounded, rooted in what's actual reality, what's really true and it has good values. It knows that's worth something and that's not worth something. It's, it has a handle on emotion. Some emotions are wise. Some emotion. How we channel our emotions is impacted by our wisdom, or what we think, or what we say, or what we do. All these ways of life uh, that's what wisdom is really about. It's understanding to discern what's right. In fact, if you think about it, what the scripture says is, all the wisdom of God is delivered in the Word of God. <laughs> yeah, it does say that. You read second Timothy chapter three. Let me just read this, 2 Timothy 3. We'll start with verse 14. As for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now that string of things the Scripture is profitable for could be called a summation of wisdom. And then he says this, that the man of God may be complete. same word that James used, complete, equipped for everything. Every good work. So, if you wanted to know what's the source of wisdom in the world today, I think you could say that in the scriptures you have sufficient wisdom for any challenge. That all the wisdom of God that we need has already been delivered in his revelation of himself in the person of Christ and in the scriptures now all of that is activated by the ministry of the spirit in the heart of a person so what really turns the written word of God into the wisdom of life is the ministry of the spirit in my heart so when James says God gives wisdom generously I think we could also say God gives wisdom generously in advance, like He's already provided it. And the question is not whether He will provide it or not. The question is whether I will recognize it and trust it and follow it. Uh, And, of course, if I trust it, I will follow it. Will I trust what God tells me? So, again, this is a challenge of faith, of the steadfastness of faith. Do I believe in the goodness of God's wisdom? So James comes back then to the first thing about wisdom. (laughs) He says, But let him ask in faith, no doubting. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't have supposed he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. So ask in faith. And really, that just means, do I see God as the source of wisdom? In Proverbs 3, you know that famous text, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. (laughs) In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Ask in faith. and He will answer. Now, uh, you could read it uh, in Job 28.28 28, or in Proverbs 9.10 and probably a few more times in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To understand who God is, to respect God as God, the source of all things, is also the source of all wisdom. We're asking God for wisdom. We're not asking God for advice for us to weigh by our own judgment. God's wisdom is to be trusted and followed, not weighed against my own understanding. I'm, I'm, when I ask God in faith with not doubt without doubting, I'm not saying, well, God, tell me what you think. All right, well, I'll give that due consideration. No. Uh, God, give me wisdom. Teach me how to respond rightly, to understand the world rightly, to know the truth, to live from the truth. Uh, So God's wisdom is to be trusted and followed, not weighed. If I give my judgment the final word over what God says, I'm double-minded. Right? I'm double-minded. I'm thinking, well, it could be this, could be that, could be this, could be that. God, tell me what you think. Okay, I'll weigh that, but ultimately I'll decide. Well, that is the definition of double-minded, like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. We're like, my... Understanding and my insight about which way to go is all over the place, like a little boat driven around without a sail or a rudder. It just goes where the wind blows or the waves go. It's double-minded. It's not trusting. If we trust God for our salvation, if we trust Christ for our salvation, then God is Abba, Father, our perfect provider. So we should simply trust him and follow his guidance. Follow his guidance. You know the famous text in Romans 8, right? Romans 8 28. We know we know that all things, all things work together. I'm finding it here. We know that. Uh, All things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. What can we say to these things if God's for us? Who could be against us? <clears throat> we should simply trust Him and follow His guidance. He is working these things out. Uh, again, we're coming to this idea of looking through the pain and the trouble in my immediate situation to see beyond that to what is it God is doing. In Romans, Paul goes on to say, uh, "Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation—that's our word—that's the same word, trials. James, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword. It's written for your sake we're being killed all day long. regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No." In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation, none of it will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you lack wisdom, if you don't see how to proceed, ask God. He's in the business of giving wisdom. He's generous with wisdom. When I look to God for wisdom, I'm exercising wisdom. When I look to God for wisdom, I'm exercising wisdom, the very wisdom I'm asking. If my care and well-being can be trusted to God in Christ by the Spirit, then... I can act according to God's Word with boldness and courage. That is wisdom. That is wisdom. If I find myself safe, secure in fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit, I ask the Lord which way, that way. I can proceed that way with courage, with boldness, with assurance and confidence because I'm safe in Christ. Even when I'm mistaken, I'm safe in Christ. So that is wise. Other things uh, tend to become clear when I'm living by faith. Uh, so which, which way I go on this or that decision uh, is likely to be much more clear if I'm walking looking to God for the wisdom that I need. If I'm trusting God in Christ by the Spirit, if I'm resting in the assurance of my salvation and my ultimate resurrection in Christ, things tend to get clear. Also things get put in proper perspective. I start to realize that uh, whether this software does the thing I needed to do today is uh, really kind of a trivial matter seemed important to me when I got troubled by it but in the light of my salvation it's really not a very big deal. Uh, So things tend to become clear and things tend to become properly trivialized compared to our resurrection in our union with Christ. So how do we live life in a difficult time like the one we're in? How can we live with the confidence that Christ provides, with the assurance, with the boldness, with the courage that is so needed in the times in which we live, which we need to demonstrate to the people around us so that they will see the goodness of the love of God in Christ. How do we live that way? Well, these these three things. Remember, remember and trust in God's goodness. (laughs) Remember, God is good all the time. Trust in God's goodness. God's goodness is proven in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, promised return of Jesus Christ. Remember, God is good. God is watching after you, taking care of you, assuring you of your permanent, eternal place in all things in fellowship with Him. You are safe, 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 remember the goodness of God. Then look to God for clear direction. Pray. When you don't know what to do or what to think or how to behave, ask God. God loves giving out wisdom. So first, remember and trust in God's goodness. Second, ask for God's direction. And third, do what you see to be right. That's wise. A wise person has the maturity to do what they see to be right. Now, you could be mistaken, but do what you see to be right. Trust in God. God is perfectly capable of correcting you if you need it. Trust Him and do what you know to be right. The more we grow in steadfastness of faith, the more understanding to discern what is right, the more wisdom we have. And so, do what you see to be right. And do what you see to be right, even if it's not the thing that's going to bring you the quickest relief from the pain. Now, relieving pain is good. Helping people with their suffering, including yours, is good. And sometimes the right thing involves enduring some more trouble. Just look at Christ. He did the right thing when he endured the trouble of the cross. And so even if it's not the thing that gets you out of the pain, do the right thing. Do what you see to be right. And then you're acting by faith. You're acting from faith. You're acting in wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Trusting God is the beginning of wisdom. So those three things, remember and trust God's goodness. Pray for clear direction and do what you see to be right. You will be living with good confidence bold assurance of faith in a time that is troubled, to say the least. What a testimony that will be if those of us who know Christ can walk in His wisdom can count it joy when we encounter trouble. Who encounter trouble and say, Oh, good. This means my fellowship with God will grow even deeper. When I was uh, uh, in my late teens, just starting college, my mother had a bout with cancer. And she received treatment and the treatment was effective. But this was in you know, the early 1980s. Cancer treatment was nothing like it is today. So it was far from a foregone conclusion that this would have a positive outcome, and the treatment itself was uh, extremely difficult. My mom would tell you she wouldn't wish that on anyone, and she would go on to say there was not a time in her life where her Relationship and fellowship with God grew more than it did during that challenging time. Uh, consider it joy when you fall into various trials because God is at work and He will produce a steadfastness of faith a depth of fellowship with Him that uh, could not have been possible otherwise. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various troubles. Father, we give you thanks. It is all we can do. You are so good to us in every way at all times. Father, we pray for the wisdom that we need to live in this time of trouble. We know that we're always living in a time of trouble, Lord, and yet people around us are... uh, unable to deny it at the moment. and So, Lord, we pray that you would make us the sort of bold, courageous Christians that you called us to be, that we would be like Christ, able to follow through, think correctly, uh, live rightly, do what we know is right, even uh, when it's a little costly, and be expressions of the love of Christ to the people around us with courage and boldness. So, Lord, we pray that in our response to the difficulties of life, uh, people would see Christ and be drawn to Christ. Lord, make us faithful to share the testimony of the gospel with the people around us, in both words and in deeds. We thank you for this uh, honor that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.